Welcome to Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and I thank you for joining us here on the program. Uh, I will go through all of the particulars, as I always do every program, later, because we want to jump right into our program. We can spread all of that good stuff around, and we will talk with our guest first as we talk about how our guest uh, faced a battle of uh, of the li- of a <laughs> faced the battle of a lifetime and learned to live powerfully and has written a book about it, Brave Now, Rise Through Struggle and Unlock Your Greatest Self. And uh, Radha Ruparel, I hope I have pronounced that correctly. Thank you for joining us. Hi, Richard. Good to be with you. And I've got your name pronounced Radha Ruparel. You've got it perfectly. Ah, Great. I'm glad. I, I like to show... My guests, uh, that kind of respect because uh, that's their name, and uh, let's uh, let's get it right. Unlike what they did at Ellis Island, constantly, oh, I got to pronounce your name, so we're going to change it to Jones. Well, we're not going to do that here. Uh, interesting because in my life, as you and I speak, and I'm not alone, uh, I am facing uh, an interesting challenge. I'm getting support from people around me, uh, encouraging me to take care of of self first Mm -hmm. Uh, yes there are other people involved but you've got to take care of yourself first otherwise you're not going to be any good to anybody else and what what would be the point of even resolving whatever the situation is if you're not doing well you know what i'm saying so talk to us if you will let's let's start by uh going back to uh, that particular challenge or challenges that you faced that have brought you here today? Yeah, sure, Richard. I'll tell you a little bit about the challenge. But before I do that, I'll tell you what I was doing before that. So my life and my work is around leadership development. So I work with leaders around the world, CEOs, Fortune 500 executives, social entrepreneurs to grow their leadership. Um, and one of the things I've discovered about growing our leadership is it's very personal work. And last year, uh, in April of 2020, at the peak of the global pandemic, I went through the most difficult challenge of my life Mm -hmm. when I fell very deeply ill with COVID. And I was, I I fell ill just at the beginning. This is New York City when nobody really else had gotten it. The city was shutting down. No doctors know what what knew what to do. The hospital systems were overrun. Uh, And I'm one of those people who we now call long haulers or folks who have long COVID, who even though I got past the first couple of months that were terrifying and debilitating, um, I, for the last year, have still struggled with a slew of symptoms that have completely turned my life upside down. So that's the challenge that I faced. And, you know, I say that I work in leadership development, but all the lessons that I work with leaders around the world on in this last year, I had to apply to myself as I went through this um, really difficult experience. And of course, we all we all are going through our own challenges uh, as uh, we move through this life, whether it be COVID, whether it be uh, the Delta variant or the wildfires here in California or... And again, you can you can name what you want, you know, uh, but um, it's it's really uh, something that I know uh, we talk about on this program that that does in in 
in this context, it does build the character that, you know, we talk about. I mean, you know, it's uh, it's one of, the, one of those things where we talk about the subject of bullying, for example. And, of course, you hear the people who are, for some strange reason, in favor of it. Well, that builds character in the kid. You know what? Uh, I would venture that you got enough challenges in your life. You don't need other people giving you a hard time to help build character. You know, I mean, are you kidding me? Um the book is Brave Now, and that is the title of the work that we're talking about with our guest here on the program, Radha Ruparel. And uh, very interesting how do you, does it really matter in this, in this specific case with you where you contracted the virus, where you picked it up? Do you have any idea or you got it and you had to suffer through it? So I don't, you know, I don't care where I got it. I got it and I fortunately made it through. Yeah, you know, it's a funny thing. Almost everyone asks that question. And it's something that I barely even think about anymore, because I spent most of my thinking, time thinking about how I deal with it. Um, it might have been in my building, it might have been at my local pharmacy. Um, but I also get why people ask that question, because if you haven't uh, suffered from it, that's the thing that's on your mind, will mm -hmm. I get it? Um, so yeah, it's, um, I think all of us, whatever state we're in, we might have a different question that's on our mind. Yeah, it's, uh, it is, um, I mean, there are all kinds of, th I, I just went through my own personal health crisis. Uh, I didn't even know it was a crisis at the time. Uh, I had a golf ball sized gallbladder, gallstone. And oh, wow. To, they wow. had to go in. I know those are difficult. Yeah, they had to go in and they do it. Of course, they poke a bunch of little holes in you and then they pull it out through those holes. Uh, and that's what they did. So there, my gallbladder has gone. The gallstone is gone and uh, and so forth. And it's like, wow. And of course, I, I recovered very quickly. Um, I really did. I, you know, and of course, everybody's rather amazed at the fact that I was already running around doing stuff the day of, if not the day after. Uh, the surgery in spite of the fact that, okay, you cannot lift and you can't do these things. You got to wait a minimum two weeks. And then of course you got another five, six weeks, four to six weeks that you, in your recovery. And so I'm moving right along, feeling very good, but I had no fear. Even mm. before, once I found out what it was, I, they made me feel very comfortable. Uh, I felt uh, confident, if you will, in uh, the surgeon uh, and uh, she, she just, she, you know, I, I know this just like everybody else ought to know. With every procedure, there are risks. I mean, you know, I know this. They're going to cut into you. I don't care if they're poking holes or slicing. There are always risks. And they talked to me about that. But, of course, they also said, and hundreds of these are done every day. And people live through it and they move on to continue uh, living productive lives. But there are other challenges. Yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, no. And, and, you know, I think you're getting to this idea that we, and, and this is the premise of my book, actually, is that we all face these turning points in our lives. And some are small challenges that, like Richard, it feels like in that one, you may have built the capacity to deal with that. And I just love your attitude around going in with no fear and embracing, um, embracing what was given to you and being able to recover from that. But many of us will face turning points in our life where we just don't know what to do, you know, and, you know, for me, it was COVID, but this is not, you know, a story about COVID. It could be a health issue. It could be uh, the loss of a job. It could be the end of a relationship. And so the whole premise of this book is we're all going to face these turning points in our life. That's a part of being human. 
I think the question is, how do we deal with them? Mm -hmm. You know, how do we deal with them powerfully? And how do we build our inner strength so that we're capable of dealing with the challenges, just in the way that it sounds like you did with, with this unexpected thing that happened in your life? Well, you know, I, um, I was rather taken aback in one sense uh, by this event because, you know, I, I did not know this in, 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 as far as my family history until after the fact. Turns out that I'm number five in the family of eight. And it's like, oh, wow. really? What in the Sam Hill? And then, of course, I, I even asked my surgeon. I said uh, to her, or asked her the question, uh, is there any, or have there been any studies showing that this is something genetic? And she says, no. However, obviously, it seems as though that is certainly a real possibility. It's, okay, all right, you know, uh, not a big deal. Uh, again, it's, it's a fairly uh, simple procedure. Uh, similar to what I had in 96 when I had my lens implant. And again, it was another one of those simple procedures. But my ophthalmologist said, you know, there's a 50-50 chance that you could uh, lose all of your sight. And I said, then let's do it now so that, and I was 38 at the time, uh, 36. Uh, let's do it now so that I can start my adjustment period if that were to happen. And of course it didn't. I'm driving and all that good stuff. We also face these challenges Outside the physical body. In other words, it's not always something in that regard. Relationships that, for whatever reason, and they, they just aren't working out. And yet we want to hold on. We want to stay, 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 you know, and work it out. And I have to ask you this question in this regard. Sometimes, in order to save oneself, you got to walk away. As hard and as much as that hurts, as painful as it is, and, and I have to say, because of my own experiences, I mean, it's, it's, it's the death. It, it is, we're experiencing grief in this process. Yeah, I think I think this this idea of letting go is such a powerful co competency that we all need to build. Um, and I think particularly in this last year, you know, whether it's you're dealing with a relationship that's changing, you know, people's work has completely changed, people's health, people's ability to connect with one another. And we had this vision of how our life should be. You know, I talk a lot about in my book about shoulds. Like life mm -hmm. should be this way. Yeah. I should have perfect health. <laughs> I should be able to work in person with people and not on video. And we have all these beliefs around how life should be. And I think one of the skills that we all have to develop in this world that we're realizing is increasingly uncertain is exactly what you said, Richard learning what to keep and what to let go of. And so I was just in a conversation with some of my colleagues today, and that's the conversation we were having. Hmm. What have we learned this year? What do we want to keep? You know, so for me, I want to keep some of the things that I learned around slowing down, um, around connecting with people in a deeper way. But also, what do we want to let go of? Um, and I just think it's such an important question for all of us to be asking ourselves. Absolutely. Absolutely. I will I will be very honest here on this program, and I will say that I have been through, and this was 23 years ago, I went through what at the time was a pretty horrendous separation and divorce from a woman that I really cared about, 
We had a lot of fun together for many, many years. I'm not going to sit here and say, oh, my God, she was awful. and It was just a terrible that. No, 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 no. Uh, I, love, I love this one story that somebody tells about how. So tell me, uh, uh, Rada, you went to Disneyland. So how was your trip? And you sit there and you go, oh, man, it was so great. And I'd stop you and say, liar. <laughs> it wasn't all great. You had to stand in line. It was hot. It was so there are multiple emotions that we feel at the loss of a person, a relationship, a connection, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm going through that again. Mm. And I can't believe. And, and yet at the same time, there's this part of me. And I want to talk about this as we continue that says. Yeah, this is, this is going to be a struggle. It's going to be a challenge. But just wait until you get to the end of this particular process. It's going to be okay. And I'm optimistic. Now, do I know how it's going to end? Absolutely not. I don't have a clue as to how this is, this is going to, uh, uh, um, I don't want to say resolve, but um, how it will come to fruition. How about that? Because there will yeah. come a point when it's when it's over, one way or the other, and we think of two scenarios, but it could be a third or a fourth, and we want right, to talk. Right. Yeah, and we want to talk about that as we continue talking here on Tell Me Your Story: New Paradigms for a New World. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and I thank you as well as our special guest uh, for joining us here on the program as we talk about her book, Brave Now. Rada Ruparel is my guest, and you're listening to Tell Me Your Story, where we bring you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. You know that we're looking for those new ways of living. And uh, one of the things that I find so interesting, um, Rada, is uh, the fact that one of the things that I promote on this program is the decade of perfect vision. Started out with the year of perfect vision, 2020. And now we're into the decade, the 2020s. And I encourage people to go within. Listen to that still small voice in that quiet, calm, peaceful place. Tell me, talk to me about the role your own intuition played in your, how do I put this, uh, your rebalancing, your healing, your... Uh, regaining your power, as your subtitle speaks of uh, right through struggle, rise through struggle, and unlock your greatest self. So how, how is your intuition a part of your great, bringing about your greatest self? I love that question, Richard. And, I, you know, one of the things I think is we are in this go, 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 go culture. We're always on. We're traveling. We're moving. We're at work. Um, we don't even actually have time to connect with ourselves. And so the first thing that I discovered this past year was actually taking a moment to pause and connect with myself, right? Our intuition, we have these wise, we have this wisdom inside us, and yet so often we are numbing it. You know, we're numbing it by doing extra work or by pouring that glass of wine, or some people do it by exercise. And we don't even create space to pause. Um, for me, when I was dealing with the, these health issues, I had to learn into, to tap into my intuition in many, many new ways. Um, you know, one of the things that I dealt with were deep waves of fatigue. So if I overexerted myself mentally or physically, I would be bedridden 
for the next day. Um, and so that was such a difficult experience. But what it taught me was to start listening to myself and start listening to my body. And I just think our bodies hold incredible wisdom. You know, you go into a conversation with someone and your jaw is clenched and your shoulders are clenched as well. And you know, that's not going to be a good conversation, but we've lost our ability to even just listen to ourselves. So for myself, the biggest thing I've learned is creating space to pause and actually just asking myself, how am I doing? And I don't think most of us do that enough. No, no, you're right. There's another element to all of this too, especially when it's talking about relationships. And I know that people, they go there every time and they need to stop doing that. And I'm not going there. There is no bad guy in this situation any more than there was in, uh, in, in, my, fir- in, my, fir- in my, uh, 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 my divorce to my first wife. Although I would maybe label her attorney as the bad guy, but that's a whole other story. There's no bad guy in this situation. This is just a situation that we find ourselves in and we have to figure out how to work through it. And we do have to go through it. We cannot escape going through it. Uh, I've often thought too, and I'm curious uh, from your perspective, um, I've often thought, all right, I'm doing this a second time. What didn't I learn the the first time that I want to and need to learn this time so it doesn't happen again? I mean, I I I have another 40 years to live, Radha. Come on. Right, right, right. Well, I love, but you know what? I love this. What this question? What can I learn? I think that's been one of my mottos for the last year. And you know, sometimes we ask ourselves that with such self-judgment, like, "How come I didn't learn everything the first time around?" Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and I and I'll tell you, like, again, dealing with health challenges, I feel like every few months I basically have a breakdown because I push myself too hard. I get exhausted. I'm like, wait. Didn't I just learn that lesson a month ago or two months ago? And it's the same with relationships. You're like, shouldn't I have learned everything in that first relationship? You know, one of the things I've, I've, I've discovered this past year is we need to start being compassionate with ourselves. We're human beings. We're going to go through relationships. We're going to go through struggles. And each one's going to be a learning opportunity. So one of the things that I've learned a lot from, I have uh, six nieces and nephews all under the age wow. of 10. One of the things I learned from them is when they, you know, the other day uh, I was watching them on FaceTime learning how to ride bikes and they'd get up and then they'd fall down and they'd laugh and they'd get back up again. But we as adults don't do this when we fail. We get up back up again, but we judge ourselves so much. So one of the things I'm learning is let's be playful with ourselves. Like we're going to be on this journey of learning. And I think if you can ask that question, Richard, playfully, all right, what, what can I learn this time? Uh, I think it makes life a lot more fun as well. The, another thing that I am uh, getting uh, very clear on is how, in this situation, uh, I I think that one of the problems that I am finding is, or I shouldn't say problems, challenges, more correct, that over time I gave up some of my power. Mm. All right, I gave up some of my power. Uh, I we all have our own intuition, okay, and that's great. I love that. But when someone is constantly telling you, "This is what it is," "This is what it is," "This is," 
Why don't you believe me when I tell you this is what it is? And then, of course, it turns out being what it is. And the first thing that goes through my mind after this happens a number of times is, I don't even have any thoughts of my own because they're all the other person's. You know? Yeah. And it's not yeah. about yeah. it's not about finishing the other person's sentences. That's not what I'm talking about. It's like, why can't I figure this out for myself? Why do you have to constantly bring uh, your and and it's it's not that you're wrong, it's just that how am I supposed to learn? Yeah, and I think and I think that's right. Like I think this idea of recognizing that we have power within us. You know, one of my favorite quotes is a Eleanor Roosevelt quote, which is, no one can make you feel inferior without your consent. Ah. And so it's something, something that I've learned over time. You know, now I realize if I feel like I have a loss of power, then I think about what can I do to recover that for myself? And one of the things I've found is when I lose my power, it's when I'm not clear on what I want. And when I'm not, when I'm not clear on what I want, it's probably because I haven't created enough space for myself. Um, and so that's one of the things that I'm practicing this year for myself. But it's also something I train and develop leaders on. Like, how do you create time for yourself to even just know what you want so that when you're in situations like that, you can find that for yourself, or you can know here's a time when I need to step away. You know, one of the things, Richard, that's really helped me with that this year, and I have to credit going through this pandemic and, and all of these health challenges, you know, sometimes terrible experiences help you discover something new is, I have a park next to my house, it's five minutes away. I've lived in this house for, you know, six years, and I've been to that park only a handful of times. When I fell ill, I needed to learn how to slow down. And so I ended up starting to take walks in that park. And I found that that hour a day to, again, pause, connect with myself, get clear on what I want, allows me to then, when I'm in situations, just like you're talking about where I'm like, ah, I feel like my, I'm losing my power. Mm -hmm. Those walks are so grounding and I'm clear on what I want and I can show up more powerfully in those difficult situations. We're talking with Rada Ruparel. The book, Brave, I'm, I remember when I was first reading Brave New World. No, 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 that was another <laughs> author uh, years ago. Brave Now, not yesterday or tomorrow, right now. Rise through struggle and unlock your greatest self, which is what we are encouraging everyone to do uh, on every program here on Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World, as we are giving you Choices and knowledge of knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and I'm here with the author of Brave Now, Rada Ruparel, and we are talking about uh, getting through the struggles of life. And I find it very interesting. I that I have the same optimism over this situation, this challenge in my life, that I did with. The gallbladder surgery. Mm. I mean, it was a Tuesday. And I felt this pain after I'd eaten lunch on the side here. And I'm going, huh, that's weird. And I, I attributed it to indigestion. Of course, what guy doesn't attribute whatever is happening in the belly or that area? You know, could be a heart attack. Maybe you're, you're, you're uh, uh, I don't know, something is starting to blow up. Or you're giving birth to an alien. Oh, no, it's just indigestion. And then later... 
it's not going away. And the next thing I know, I'm being uh, driven to the ER. They run a couple of tests, a couple of scans. You got to have your gallbladder removed. It's highly infected and you got to one the size of a golf ball. But I, I felt, and this is internally, I felt good. I felt optimistic. And not just because they made me feel good and then, you know, they reassured me and so on and so forth, gave me all of the information. And I feel the same way now. As, as much as it pains me, and I've spent uh, some time, uh, you know, with some tears in my eyes over all of this because I think about the life that we had before. Before all of this started to unravel and how wonderful it was. I mean, my goodness. And I, I, and I have to say that not, not to give, not to sacrifice myself here. Don't get me wrong. All I want is for the other person to be happy. That's all I want. If it's mm. not with me, then find someone or go off by yourself and be happy. You know? Yeah, yeah. I, I'm not offended and, if, if, if. You don't want to be with me because I'm more offended if you stay. And so I actually had, I had to walk away to save myself. Mm. Mm. That was hard. Yeah. It was really hard. Yeah. And I think, you know, one of the things that you said before, Richard, that I want to pick up on is when we're going through these challenging experiences, like what I appreciate about what you're sharing is you're saying I'm hopeful, I'm optimistic. I want the best for someone and it's hard. And I just think this is one of those things that I've learned. You know, sometimes we feel like, ah, we've got to be optimistic and rose colored glasses or, you know, we're down in the dumps. And what I love that you're saying here is it can be both. And I think when we can be honest with ourselves and saying, Hey, I've learned something, you know, I want the best for others. And this is challenging. I think that's real. And it's just one of these things I've learned, even with my own health battle. Like every day I have to balance both optimism that I might recover and be back to my full self and acceptance that I have some limitations. And when I finally stopped resisting and I accepted that both can be true at the same time, it's a bit of a relief because it's in the end of the day, that's what being human is. Mm -hmm. It's around some joys and some hardship. And sometimes we think, Human life is supposed to be all about everything's perfect, everything's easy. But when we can accept that it's going to be a bit of both, and that's the human experience, it's, it's kind of liberating, actually. I think the other, my other, I don't, my other lesson is that I can't save someone else who doesn't, and, and I, I, I don't want to, maybe the wrong word is save, but I cannot raise somebody else up to their greatest self. If they don't want it. And I, yeah. I acknowledge, too, that I actually can't do that. They have to want to do it and they have to do the work. But I've been through a lot of personal growth and development programs through the 80s and the 90s sure. in particular when they were really a big deal. Uh, and um, I learned a lot. But if you don't want it, then it's not going to take. And... Um, I would say that, that that hurts a little bit from that standpoint that I'm not able to do that. Because I, 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 as, as most guys, they're always trying to fix. We're the fixers, right? Right, right. And, and I'm starting to get into that mode, strangely enough, here at the age of 61. <laughs> 
I know some people say, my God, you're only getting that now? You know, you should have gotten that in your 20s or your 30s. Well, you know, I was learning other things back then. Um, but it's, it's, uh, it, it is, you can only, it's just like with, this, with these programs, what we do, uh, Radha, is we lay out what we, I like to call a giant table. And what we do is we put out this massive spread. I call it the smor- smorgasbord. And we encourage people to come to the table. And take what resonates with them. I, I encourage people, do not touch it if it doesn't resonate with you, unless you're up for the challenge. Yeah, 100%. And, and I think, you know, one of the things that you say is so important. As we're doing this inner work, so often we want to, we learn something ourselves and then we want to offer it to somebody else. And one of the things that I've learned, and, and that's human, right? We want to contribute to other people. We want to have powerful relationships. We want them to be able to see what we're seeing. But I've come to believe that we've always got to start with ourselves, right? If something is broken, you know, it's so easy to try to want to fix someone else. Um, but we should start with ourselves. And I also think it's not about fixing ourselves, right? Mm-hmm. Like even the word fixing implies that we're starting broken. I think it's just around you know, discovering who we are and both accepting our strengths and our limitations. But yeah, it's something that I've learned, you know, whenever I'm, you know, here's an example, you know, when I first felt very, very ill, um, I had three weeks, I was managing from home. Uh, and then one day I was finally near collapse and I called up the paramedics. And again, this was the peak of the pandemic and two paramedics showed up and one was in such a rage that you know, he was almost angry at me. And this is the point in, in my, my whole sickness that I was the most vulnerable. And I remember the next day, I was so angry at this paramedic because I'm like, this is the guy who's supposed to be helping me. And he was in such a rage that his partner had to get him to calm down. And when I finally did the, the, the work to slow down and just connect and be compassionate and be compassionate with myself, I started finding compassion for him because I realized deep down I was just scared and I realized deep down he was just scared. And, you know, I think in the end of the day, you know, I could have tried to fix him and saying what's wrong. But in that moment, when I was able to pause and look inwards, I realized, gosh, we can just connect with one another because on the surface we're both projecting strength, but deep down we're just scared. And so I think, when we do the inner work ourselves, it also allows us just to have empathy mm-hmm. for what other people are dealing with. Yeah, and and that's that's another aspect too. Um, one of the other aspects of relationships at whatever level, and I think that we all tend to we all in we all tend sometimes to imprint on another person this role of fulfilling all of our needs. Or a mm. lot of them, and I, I I find that 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 happens a lot more often than not, especially in uh, um, uh, closer relationships, intimate relationships, partners, and so forth. And I realize that by saying this, I'm going against the social grain because I'm I'm actually implying that uh, there are going to be other people that are going to bring into my life for this reason and for this reason another person and for this reason another because you are not the person main person person number 1 so to speak or my number 2 if you will 
um, you're not the person that is going to fulfill that what this person does and this person and this person. And somehow, some way, that's got to be okay. I 100% agree with you, Richard. You know, actually, if you look at the institution of marriage and you look at the history of it, it's quite fascinating. You know, back in the olden days, marriage was more of a contract uh, because we needed economic stability, but we also had family units around us. And now, oftentimes in, you know, close relationships, we try to, we put everything on them. We expect that person to be a caregiver, a parent, you know, uh, provide us with love, provide us with friendship. And it's too much pressure, I think, to put on one person. And so one of the things that I've learned is when we can be okay with, number one, you know, we have to be satisfied in our lives ourselves to be with other people. But we can also fulfill our needs through a broad support network. Um, I think it frees us from expecting everything of one person. And so, you know, even, even when I was sick, for example, you know, I had many different people who fulfill different roles. I had someone in my life who texted me every day and was that reliable person mm -hmm. who provided emotional support. You know, I had another person who is not, you know, is not that touchy-feely, so it wouldn't be someone I'd talk to, but they showed up for me every weekend, and so I had a place to go. You know, I had another person who's not very serious, but was the person who brought me humor when sometimes I needed lightness and not to talk about things. And I don't think I could have found all of that in one person. And so in some ways, embracing that this person's going to provide me with this and not that, it allowed me to see the strengths in each person, um, but again, not feel disappointed. And so I, I do think, you know, what you're saying, it, it does go a little bit against our social grain. And yet maybe if we actually accepted it, we'd have much more fulfilled lives and a lot less pressure and expectation. Well, I, I have to say that that I think that that is one of the problems we have in our society. And again, as I said, it goes against the social grain. Uh, because, you know, we're going to open up ourselves to other people. But by the same token, sometimes that happens naturally anyway. Uh, you know, you're going to have a best friend, for example. And and you may be in, in a relationship. It could be a marriage or just partners, what have you. Um, but you like to hang with this best friend a lot because you've been through a lot with that person. Uh, I, I take, it's funny, I'm, I'm very much into milestones, and I take great pride, maybe I shouldn't, but I do, in the fact that my best friend and I are celebrating this month of this conversation 50 years. We wow. met 50 wow. years ago today in, what was it, sixth grade? Something like that, sixth or seventh grade. And we've been friends. We've been through a lot too. We took a we took a, a a trip across country that almost ended our friendship. Mm. And I just surrendered and I said, you know what? I'm not willing. I'm not willing to give up this fr this friendship, this relationship. Over and in this case, it was over money. By the same token, there are situations we go through where. Sometimes it's time to say, you know what, I love you, but I, I have to move on. Um, yeah, yeah. And that's a tough one. It, it is really, really hard. 
And I sometimes I think about that and go, oh, my gosh, and what am I going to lose? And gosh, I remember when I went through my divorce and it was in Phoenix, Arizona, and it was a community property state and we had lawyers. And I just I mean, and it was a scary thing that first month. I was a basket case emotionally for the first month. And then I got into my own personal power and I got into my intelligence, my brain, and I started the process. And I began to realize, wait a minute, I'm not the only one that was in this relationship that is being labeled as the bad guy. I'm not saying that my ex-wife is or was, but there was also another person in this relationship and that was her. So, um, you know, we need to we need to start owning uh, our personal powers. We continue talking here. With uh, Rada Ruparel, the book, Brave Now. What is your website so we can send people there to continue their uh, own personal development and transformation? Yeah, absolutely, Richard. The website is bravenowbook.com. You can check it out. You can learn more about the book, which is a little bit about my personal story, but really 19 life, simple life lessons for anyone facing any turning point in their life. This is Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, along with Rada Ruparel. BraveNowBook.com is the website. Rise through struggle and unlock your greatest self. You know, I was looking through uh, the book here, and I was looking through the parts, the the uh, various parts. Building, you want to build resilience. You want to rediscover, rediscover joy. You want to embrace interconnectedness. You also wake up to what's possible and live beyond you. Now, wake up to what's possible. I have to tell you that when the pandemic was declared, that's kind of the way I put it, my first thought was, oh, hallelujah, we are going to break the cycle of insanity, as, as Einstein says, of doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. I was thrilled. And then the thought that came to me was, wow, what opportunities lay ahead of us that we don't even know exist yet? Talk to us about viewing, not living in the future, but viewing it from that standpoint, especially with these challenges and the struggles that we go through. Yeah, look, I, I think, you know, first of all, it has been a challenging time and people have dealt with real loss, real hardship. And so I want to acknowledge that that that, that is challenging, um, you know, and all of us in some way. At the same time, I think these disruptive moments are the times when the greatest change can happen. And if we allow ourselves to see that, you know, we can, it's so much of our lives we're, we're, we're working on autopilot, like you're saying, we're doing the same thing because we've always done it. We don't even know that there's another way. And so, for example, in our workplaces, Right. I, I, you know, my colleagues and I used to get a, on a plane every couple of weeks and we thought that was the way of, 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 of connecting. And now we've learned whole new ways of connecting. You know, we used to go to work and think we have to keep our personal persona different from our professional persona. And now using Zooms on work meetings, you're in people's living rooms. You're seeing their kids climb up on their laps and we're just discovering whole new things. And so I think that sometimes uh, disruption can actually force us to break out of these ways of being and ways of working that we've that have existed for decades. Um, and so I think that's the thing that I'm looking for in this era. You know, what are the things that I'm not going to go back and do the same? And where where are opportunities 
um, that we might not have seen had it not been for this era. You know, I think another thing here is just this collective slowdown has forced so many of us to stop and connect with in different ways. Like Richard, you were talking about figuring out who's important in your life. And, yeah. you know, I think so many of us have in this last year really prioritized a different set of people or let go of certain relationships. And so, and I don't know that we would have done that had it not been for this time to pause. And so I think these are the types of things that we can look out for uh, in this new era. What are the things that take us off of our default autopilot? That is an interesting point to look at, uh, a perspective to look at in terms of being on autopilot, which is rather interesting because I'm in the process of uh, slowly getting my pilot's license. It's actually kind of fun because <laughs> I Amazing. dreamed about it as a kid, knew back when I was a kid it would never happen because I would never have the vision. And then in 96, got a lens implant, as everybody else knows, and I'm actually... I'm actually taking flying lessons. It's really, it's amazing. I wanna, but I want to talk about that more in terms of being on autopilot and how to turn that off as we continue talking here on AM 12 uh, on the uh, Tell Me Your Story radio program. It is uh, Rada Ruparel and Brave Now, and I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and this is Tell Me Your Story. We're giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. Let's talk a little bit about this whole aspect of autopilot. How do we flip that switch and turn it off and get back on manual and... I think when you go on manual, manual also includes being conscious, being awake. Yes, yes, absolutely. Let's, let me give you one example and then how that's changing my life at large. So one example is, you know, when I first fell ill and I started getting better, I still faced deep waves of fatigue. And so I'd go back to work, but you know, sometimes I'd have to lie down for two, three hours in the day. And so I didn't have the same amount of time to do all the things that I used to do. And before I fell sick, you know, I'm an ambitious person, I get excited about different things. If someone asked me to do something, I would have trouble saying no. But because I had limited hours in the day, sometimes half the hours that I usually used to work, I had to learn to say no, in a lot more rigorous ways. Um, I would just have to say it twice as often because I just didn't have that time and space. And so that for me was shifting from, you know, this default of always saying yes, always saying yes, to learning how to prioritize and learn how to say no. And I think that just developed in me a level of consciousness that now, even as I've got better and I have more time, I'm like, wait, I shouldn't go back to the same old ways. Like, why was I doing half that stuff anyways? I think the trick is, you know, when the world opens up again, when things speed up, how do we, again, pause and be conscious? And I think the, the thing that I'm discovering about that is now I'm asking myself that same question about everything. What else am I doing on autopilot? You know, okay. again, our, our, our relationships, how we work, how we organize our days, you know, what do we do for fun? Who are the people we spend time with? So all these things, you know, um, what does success look like in life? Have I taken somebody else's definition or have I created my own? So now all of these things that I kind of took for granted, I'm starting to ask questions. Wait, why does it have to be that way? In some ways, it's almost like, um, again, it's like I learn a lot from my nieces and nephews. They ask the question, why, why, why all the time? And so now, because I've been forced to ask myself that question in some aspects of my life, it's forcing me to ask that question in so many aspects of my life. So I think just that curiosity and consciousness and 
asking why why is this the right way or is there another way of doing things is something we could all adopt. Mm-hmm. It is amazing the work that, <coughs> pardon me, that we actually create for ourselves uh, in terms of transforming our lives. And um, I'm wondering, uh, from your perspective, are there any shortcuts? Are there really any shortcuts that we can take so that maybe for me, for example, in two years, five years, ten years, I don't have to do this again? I don't have to play this this game? Because that's what it feels like. It, it feels like this game, and I really don't want to. I do not like the drama. It's not because <laughs> It's not because it's painful. I don't like watching a lot of heavy drama programs they just don't interest me because usually i can figure out from the first five or ten minutes how this thing's going to play out it's pretty obvious so are there uh are there any shortcuts or if there aren't any shortcuts what would you recommend as the first second and third steps yeah well here's the thing look i i think this inner work is a lifelong journey and no matter what we're going to have some ups and downs and so the first thing i've realized is that we're going to get better over time. We'll develop perspective. We'll know ourselves. It'll get hopefully easier, but we're going to have something that's going to throw us for a loop. I think that's one of the things I've discovered. That said, I mean, I think, I think the biggest thing I've learned is don't do this alone. Mm-hmm. You know, I think the thing that's helped me most is community, a community of people who I can come to when I'm struggling with things, a community of people who know me and what I stand for. And so, you know, even this past year, when I was facing real challenges, that community, those people are the ones where I could be very open and vulnerable and honest and say, I'm struggling. I feel like I'm repeating the same patterns I've had before. You know, what are you seeing that I'm missing? And sometimes just having this space to also say, I'm struggling and hearing somebody else is struggling and realizing, all right, I can be a little bit more compassionate with myself. Sometimes just having a space to work things out. So I would say that's the biggest thing. So often we try to deal with this stuff alone and we think we're alone in it. You know, Richard, when I wrote my book and I put it out in the world, the biggest thing that I've gotten out of it is hundreds of people coming to me and sharing their stories And what I realized from that is we're all just connected and we're all dealing with things. And the more we can actually open up about it, as opposed to wearing these invisible masks and pretending to be strong and pretending we're the only ones dealing with things, the easier it is because you start, I don't know, you start resisting it a little less and thinking, wow, this is just a part of being human. Wow. Um, You have, have, uh, some would say, you've been through the ringer. Uh, you know, I mean, I've had I've had the flu, but it's been a long, long, long time. I mean, yeah. again, the most serious thing I've had recently was <laughs> they had to, uh, it happened. I ironically, it happened the week, one of the two weeks of the uh, of the Olympics. And so I was joking around afterwards saying, oh, yeah, yeah, I have I got the gold in the gallbladder yeah. clean and jerk. Uh, <laughs> but um it's been a long time since I've been laid up. I do remember once when I worked 21 hours straight and my body just said, that's it. We're shutting down. And I, st- I was in bed for three days. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, but it's not only uh, illness that takes us or sometimes accident, you know, broke your arm, broke your leg, uh, you know, other things of this nature. Uh, it is, again, those other hurts that you don't see. 
uh, yeah. you know, obviously. And I've learned a few, uh, of, uh, I've learned that there are certain of those old, um, somebody said, oh, I don't want to be sexist, but the phrase is appropriate, old wives' tales. Although I suppose you could say old parents' tales, but needless to say, uh, one of them is um, sticks and stones will break my bones and words will never hurt me. And it turns out that's a lie. It's not mm. true. Now, here's the kicker, though. Words will never hurt me if I put it in perspective. 100%. 100%. You know, I that this is one of the things that I've just taken away from this whole year like everything is a matter of perspective by the way it's not just words that other people tell you mm -hmm. it's also the words you tell yourself like Hello. let me share you know let me share an example with you Richard you know when I you know when I first fell sick you know I would wake up in the morning and I'd say this is a bad day or sometimes I just beat myself up I'm like how is everybody else getting over this and I can't you know and that language that I was saying to myself it was just destructive and so one of the things that I've learned is the words we say, like the words others say to us matter, but so do the words we say to ourselves. And here's the thing, language is one of our most powerful tools. It's one of our most creative, generative tools that we have. Everybody has access to it and it can shift our perspective. So, you know, after, uh, after a couple of months of saying, ah, oh, this is a bad day. Oh, I, I just, I, I'm not strong enough to deal with this. How come, you know, how come I'm not able to deal with it? I started being a lot more intentional about my language. Mm -hmm. So instead of, you know, if I woke up and I was not feeling well, instead of saying I'm having a bad day, I would just make a slight shift and say, hey, I'm just having an off moment. Mm. And what was cool about that is I was being honest with myself. I wasn't trying to brush it under the rug and say, hey, I'm feeling great. I'm trying to be Pollyanna. But at the same time, that language made it so that a few minutes later, I could be better, you know, like I didn't have to, the whole day didn't have to be bad. And yeah. so I, I do think words matter. And I think it's not just the words other people tell us. I actually think there's so much self-talk going on. If we can start being generous with ourselves, automatically we'll start being generous in our words with others as well. Uh, two things. <clears throat> Number one, another one of those phrases uh, that is very telling of the individual and their even their attitude toward themselves. Let's say they they cooked something, they made something, right? Yeah. And they're serving it up, and they're sitting there eating it, and everybody else they're enjoying it. They're they're they're, they're taking it in. Obviously, it's not terrible. And the the presenter, the the creator, if you will, the cook, the chef says, "This isn't bad." Yeah. Right. Well, right. Yeah. Why don't you say, "Boy, this is good." Yeah, yeah. We've been, you know what, we've been trained, I think, in our society to look for the bad. So this is, this is something I think a lot about, not just with adults, but I do work in education. And I want to change the way kids talk to themselves and to others, right? Because we've been trained in our media to look for what's bad. We've been trained in our lives to look what, for what's bad. Actually, biologically, based on our hunter-gatherer days, our brains were actually trained to look for what was bad and what was threats. But now we're in a different world. And so I do think this ability to start looking for what's good, um, like we can actually change the way our brains work. And yeah. so one practice that I developed um, is something that I did with leaders at work, but I started using it for myself is, you know, in the first month I was so sick. I couldn't get out of bed. I was nauseous, like everything just seemed horrible. 
Um, but a practice that I've used with leaders is this thing called acknowledgement. So at the end of a team project, we would sit in a circle and I'd acknowledge ourselves for something that we had done in a positive way. And by the way, it was such a difficult practice for many people because we've been trained on, ah, it wasn't so bad, or I could have done this better. I started doing that with myself every night. Sometimes it'd be like, I'd acknowledge myself for getting out of bed and making my bed after you know not being able to, to get out of bed for a whole day. Sometimes it's making it to the pharmacy. You know, Other times it was like, all right, I made it out for a walk one day. And what I realized, Richard, with that, with that small little practice, I started noticing the good stuff, not just in myself, but then also the contributions of other people to me. So mm. I think we need to just develop our capacity in small ways to start noticing the good stuff. Um, because again, in the end of the day, when I started doing that these days, I noticed the flowers outside my house. I noticed the, the, the beauty of the tree in the park. I noticed the contribution someone makes to me when they help me out. And these things could have completely passed me by had I not changed my perspective. The other aspect, number two, words have power. And I think specifically Absolutely. of our political system. And I've been observing for the past 40 plus years, our political system. And I remember talking with someone about this and I said, why are they saying that? You know, and uh, that, that, that's not fair. I'm not saying that what they're saying is wrong because I don't know. I don't know the, the whole truth but, and nothing but the truth. All I know is what they're saying is really mean and it's, it's really uncalled for. And they said, oh, come on, Richard, stop being so naive. This is just politics. And I say, wait a minute. What do you mean it's just politics? They are using those words in that way for a specific intention. I know you and I both understand uh, intention when doing something, when saying something, when being. So they are using those words to accomplish something, and that is to get elected to that office. And the other part of it uh, in that regard is, look, I won't vote for anybody who puts down their opponent. Because if you cannot sit there and talk about the things that you are going to do, that you are going to accomplish, instead of knocking down the other guy, I mean, one of my, one of my old employers basically uh, said at a radio station, he says, I, I will never put down any of the other radio stations that we compete with. Matter of fact, he told me about an example once where he went into a meeting. The, the, the client said, well, you know, we're on this other station, too, and so forth. He says, well, how about you do this? You sign a contract with them. You sign a contract with us for six months. And if they bring in more business for you than we do, then you go with them. And I thought, now that's the way it ought to be. So yeah. po- words have power. And we I 100% yeah. believe it. Yeah, 100% believe that words have power. And, you know, again, coming back to that conversation that we talked about, oh, what, about where do we start? I've started realizing I'm going to start with myself. And so, again, you know, if I think about earlier in my life, I don't think I realized the power of words. I don't think I realized that they can influence someone else. It can change someone's entire day in our political systems. Like, it can actually change people's actions and so i think a lot more intentionally now about my words and how i use them exactly what you're saying you know in a way to generate what i want in the world and i think what it comes down to is when you're clear on your values when you're clear on what matters to you then 
you can use your words with that in mind. And, and when you're not, or, you know, if, if, I think that's our challenge right now. It's, it's, it's both our words, but it's, are we clear on what matters? Um, and so I think that's just one of my, my, my biggest reflections. Like, I think in this era, how can we pause and step back and really think about what matters in the world? For me, it's generosity, it's connection, it's making a contribution. And then how can my words line up with that? And that's a daily practice, by the way. I think, I think we've been so flippant with our words that we often don't realize the power we have over others. So I know for myself, it's a constant practice of how do I make sure that my words align with my values? And I think it'll be a lifelong journey to practice that. Yeah, it, it, can, it can get to be very hard. It really can, uh, especially if you're dealing in the higher upper echelons of corporations or government or uh, educational institutions and so forth, and you get pressured. I mean, you think about, for example, in the educational institutions, you think about uh, the higher, higher areas where families, adults, decided that they were going to try to buy their young person's way into a particular institution, uh, you know, and, and so forth. And it's like, okay, so what, wh- where's your integrity? On, on a scale of one to ten, where is your integrity? You know? Yeah, and I think that's, and I think one of the things that I believe is, you know, here's a moment in time, and this is why I do work in education, where we actually have to stop and reimagine education. And so, so much of our education was around academic outcomes and, and, and doing well on a test. And I think we need to stop and think about what's a broader set of outcomes. How do we develop the next generation of people to be conscious, to be aware of themselves, to learn how to connect with one another, to actually think about a commitment in life bigger than themselves. And so I hope we can start at a younger age because I think by the time you get to adulthood and you're in these systems and you're disconnected from this deeper purpose, that's just the manifestation of it. So it's one of my commitments around how do we stop and even just rethink, how do we reimagine society starting with, how do we rethink education? Rada Rappel is my guest here on uh, on the program, and um, we are talking about her book, Brave Now. BraveNowBook.com is the website. We certainly hope that you'll go there and continue listening to Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World, uh, where we are giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. We also would love for you to participate in the Decade of Perfect Vision. Spend some time going within and listening to that still small voice. I want to ask you a little bit more about that in terms of intuition. Um, Is there ever a time when... You're rolling down the path, and you've reached a certain plateau. Like, oh, I don't need to listen anymore. <laughs> no, I'm, on, I'm a big believer in listening, both to ourselves. Um, but there's times when sometimes, you know, uh, you know, one person, you know, I know for myself I have limitations. I have a certain perspective. So I've learned to listen to myself. The other thing that I've learned, Richard, in life is, to have a diverse set of people around me that when I'm struggling, I can ask them for support. And the, the trick here is the diverse set of people. Um, I find some of the people who've contributed the most to my life are people who I disagree with. Um, <laughs> but, but when we've built a relationship and we can actually be playful and laugh about that, actually some of my colleagues at work who I respect the most, we have very different ways of thinking about things. But because we've developed some trust and because we each understand that each of us brings something unique, 
whenever I'm stuck on a tough problem, it's often those people who I go to. So I've learned to, I, I, I think listening is important. I think it's a capacity that's underdeveloped in our world. I want to see it more developed in our corporations. I want to see it more developed in our education systems. Um, and I think we need to listen to ourselves. But I also think we need to learn how to listen to people who have vastly different perspectives from us because each of us have limitations and no one person can solve you know, some of our most complex challenges alone. You know, you make a very interesting point about the people you surround yourself with, and it, it, it dovetails a little bit into uh, a chapter of my book that talks about, um, you know, uh, uh, put, bring around you those individuals, in this case, who are going to support your choice, whatever your choice happens to be. Don't bring people around yourself who are not going to support. And I'm not talking about yes people. Okay, because you can actually bring people around you who are not going to be yes people, but they're not no people. They're saying, hey, you know, hey, I like I like what you're doing. Go for it. You know, it's, yeah, not, it's, it's not my it's not my path, but I think it's great what you're doing. Fantasy. Go, 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 go. Yeah, I love it. You know, I think that some of the people in my life have been the ones who believe in me. They encourage me. And I just think it's important to have those people. And I agree with you. Oftentimes, they're not the ones who will agree with me at the beginning. But I know deep down, I think it comes back down to values, Richard. Mm -hmm. In the end of the day, it's values and uh, people. For me, one of my biggest values is generosity of spirit. So I like to operate around me with people who have a generosity of spirit. So I know that I can come to them and I know they'll be honest with me. And I know that as they share their advice and their thoughts, they're coming with the best intentions. And if I know that, then I'm capable of hearing anything, even things I may not want to hear at first. And I think that's, that's the biggest contribution. Yeah. We are talking with Rod Arutapel, uh, Brave Now. BraveNowBook.com is the website. I'm Richard Dugan. This is Tell Me Your Story. We're giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true here on this program. As we talk about those new ways of living, I often say that's what we're looking for, Rada, is uh, new ways of living because all you have to do is look around you. The old ways just aren't working anymore. Uh, so we encourage people to go to that smorgasbord table and uh, partake of what uh, as little or as much as you'd like and come back again and again and again. And the people are. Uh, as of this broadcast, uh, podcast, videocast, we are uh, fast approaching on the podcast end through SoundCloud's analytics, almost 45,000 listens in a little over three and a half years, as well as celebrating our 14th anniversary of doing this program. It, it inaugurated on September 7th of 2007. So uh, a lot of milestones there for us. I want to ask, if I may... Your name, may I ask its origins? Yes, it's an Indian name. Uh, Radha is a, an Indian name. Um, and uh, I grew up in Canada uh, with Indian origins and parents who grew up in Africa. So I consider myself a bit of a global citizen. And I think that's shaped so much of my outlook in life. That's beautiful. That is absolutely beautiful. I, uh, and as I said at the beginning of the program, I think it is so much so important uh, that we learn how to pronounce people's names, no matter how hard it might be. You learn so much. Is there a particular um, meaning to the name Murata? 
Yeah, I think um, in, in Hindu mythology, there's uh, these two individuals, Radha, Krishna, and they symbolize eternal love. So it's, uh, it's just built from mythology. Um, and uh, yeah, I think it's, it's the type of energy I want to emanate in the world. So I try to live into my name as much as I can. Well, wonderful. And we're sure glad, sure glad that you are here with us talking about your new book. Tell me about some of the other work that you are doing along with the book that you are uh, promoting here, Brave Now at bravenowbook.com. Yeah, so in my day job, um, what I do is I work with leaders around the world, social entrepreneurs, teachers in more than 60 countries around the world who are reimagining education. And so a lot of the work I do with them is around how to grow their leadership. And so many of the things that we talked about, how do you get to know yourself? How do you know your strengths and can live into that? How do you learn to listen deeply to one another, including those who have different perspectives from you? You know, how do you step back and see the whole system? Because I think one of our beliefs is if we want to change anything in our society, we need collective leadership, leaders in all parts of the system, you know, of all different profiles working together. So I spend a lot of my time thinking about how do we grow this inner leadership um, with people, incredible people around the world who are, who are reimagining education systems around the world. Hmm. Well, I think that's fantastic. And of course, then you take with you all of the lessons you've learned and it's all woven into the tapestry of who you are. And then you share that with other people and it kind of becomes part of their tapestry. And that's what is really kind of cool. I've often said it <clears throat> on this program many times that I owe a, a great debt of gratitude, if you will, to the th literally, literally in f over 40 years in this business, thousands of people who have contributed to the work that I do. Uh, yes. This kind of goes back also to what you said earlier <clears throat> about uh, sort of acknowledging our strengths. Uh, I mean, I can sit here. And yeah, I, I'll, I'll be the first one to admit, yeah, I got a pretty good size ego. All right. But I can also bring that down. But I can also say with confidence and humility that I am good at what I do. And I know this. I know this from inside. And that's all I'll say. I'm not going to sit here and go through details of this interview, that interview, this piece of production, that. I just know that my talents are here in yeah, what I do. And, and exactly. And I think if we can start connecting with our strengths and our passions, and like you're saying, with some degree of humility, but also some degree of conviction, yes. then we have the opportunity to live into them. And then instead of living lives where we're spending our energy on things that don't matter to us, we can actually spend our energy on things that we care about. And if we're good at them and we care about them, then we can make a difference in the world. Yeah. And so you know, in education systems, and, and even when I spend time with my nieces and nephews, one of the things that I want them to think about is you don't have to know your strengths right away, but can you just discover them? And can you lean into them? And can you own them? And again, own them with some humility, because every strength has its shadow side. Mm -hmm. All my strengths, you know, I recognize there's some, some dark sides around it, but I can own those two, you know, and, and I think it, it, what, what, what kind of world would we live in if every single person knew their strength and were able to live into them. I mean, I wow. think it would be such a powerful world. We'd accomplish a heck of a lot more than we have in the last thousand years. We would Exactly, be so and we'd be joyful, too. And you know, joyful. joyful, right? Yeah. I want to talk yeah. a little bit here in a moment about that as we continue talking with Radha Rudapel, 
the book Brave Now, bravenowbook.com. I'm Richard Dugan. This is Tell Me Your Story. And we are here with the author of Brave Now. BraveNowBook.com is the website. We encourage you to go there. We, of course, will be linked to that website so people can go straight there while they're listening or watching these programs, these videos, uh, these podcasts, this interview of Tell Me Your Story. Uh, we are on SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Stitcher, Player FM, Blueberry. We are also on iHeart and Amazon. We're also on YouTube where you can watch these interviews and subscribe. I'm up to a whopping 33 subscribers. I've been there, I don't know, I've only been there a few months. So I'm happy to have 33 subscribers, but I know other people are watching. Uh, and it's, it's great. Uh, so please uh, enjoy. People are reposting the programs to other sites, and I thank you for doing that. People are commenting. Please leave a comment. Hey, I have actually received... I don't know what I want to call it, criticism or correction per se, but I have received uh, information that I take to heart and I say, okay, I can, I can do that. That's not that hard to do if, you know, and everybody's different, you know. Uh, so I'm, I'm willing to, to, to listen to that. I'm here, I'm here to learn. I am here absolutely to learn. Uh, we are talking with uh, Rada Rudapel, and I want to ask you, about this one part of the book, about rediscovering joy. There's a phrase that I heard not too long ago, uh, don't let them take your joy. And with what we talked about at the front end of the program, boy, they can suck the joy right out of you. I mean, in the month of May of 1998, I didn't have any joy. I was emotional, but it wasn't joy. <laughs> Let's talk yeah, about rediscovering and, joy. Yeah, you know, and, and I think this comes back down to that, that quote that I said around, you know, I think we can always take our power. We have the power to step away and, and take that. But let me just show one other lesson around uh, rediscovering joy. Sure. Here's the, here's the biggest thing. You know, there's been studies that show we're not present. You know, more than 40% of the time we're thinking about the past or we're thinking about something in the future, and we're not actually in the moment. And so one of the things that I've discovered around rediscovering joy is this idea of presence. Like I'm with you, Richard, right now. If I am fully with you, all of a sudden I start being more present. As I'm more present, I can find joy. You know, another example of this is, you know, when after a month I was I had been uh, secluded in my house um, because I wasn't able to go outside. I didn't want to be infectious. Um, but when the doctors finally let me go outside, I went outside and for the first time I took a breath of fresh air and I really took a breath of fresh air and I noticed it. And I just hadn't even been present to the wonders of breathing, mm. the ability to walk. And now when all of that stuff had been taken away from me, like for months I couldn't, you know, go for long walks. Now, every day when I go for a walk, I am so present to the fact that I'm, I'm walking right now. And I know it sounds so silly and so insignificant, but here's the thing about joy is when we can actually just start noticing what's already there in front of us, we don't have to go seeking it elsewhere. Half the time we have the opportunity to have joy in the connections we have, in the, 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 the beauty of nature, in the things all around us, but we're just so not present that we miss it all. And so I think that's the biggest thing I've discovered is if we pause, if we're present, if we're actually spending time with the people we're with and fully with them, 
we can find so much joy just in that. Uh, I I couldn't agree with you more. I, and and it's it's like I said earlier with my um, emergency gallbladder surgery, with the situation I'm in now, with other things that I have come through over the past, I don't know, 15, 20 or plus years, what have you, um, I've actually been able to tap into the optimism, at least. Uh, to me, there's joy in optimism. And, and maybe I don't necessarily see the answer or the solution or the end. I don't need to. If I can feel good about the path I'm on, and this goes back to another thing that we've already talked about, and I'm listening and following the promptings of my still small voice. I refer to my still yes. small voice as my yes. friend. Okay, then I can, I can, I'm, I'm good with that. I'm, I yeah. am absolutely good with that. So I love that, Richard, because I think you know it's not, it's not uncertainty that kills us. It's our resistance to it. That's it. And when, and when we can just be with it, and and the reality is, I think we all need to learn how to be with uncertainty because that's life. Like yeah. life is uncertain. We're not going to know the answer. When we can stop resisting, all of a sudden, it just again. It's such a relief. It's not like we, you know, it's not like it's not going to be challenging. It's just the, the, this idea that it shouldn't be that way. That's the thing that's killing us. So I think when we let go of that resistance, we just have a lot more peace. And I, I, I just hope for peace for so many more people. And that's why I do the work that I do. Rada Rutapel is my guest. Brave Now is the book. And we hope that you will pick up a copy as we continue here on Tell Me Your Story. As we wrap up our program here, Rada Rudapel, I want to thank you so much for joining us here on the program. It's been a, a great pleasure. You have, you have quite a, honestly, you have an infectious smile. You really do. Beautiful <laughs> smile. You. And uh, we are so glad that you have um, come through <clears throat> the, the COVID tunnel, shall we say. I know that a lot of people use the analogy of the tunnel and the light at the end of the tunnel. And some people say, yeah, and that's a train heading our way. No, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> we we will not be in this for nothing is permanent folks it's like you were just saying it, there, there is always uncertainty we have never tell me when listener when you have ever lived in certain times and i don't think you can tell me that you've ever lived in certain times because the universe is changing the world is changing you and i are changing so there you go. Uh, speaking of which, I thank you so much for joining us here on the program and for sharing your story as well as uh, the book uh, Brave Now. Thanks, Richard. Great to be with you as well. I have three final questions I like to ask all my guests, and sure. uh, you've probably answered them to some degree in the context of the interview, but I, of course, like to ask them straight out. Before sure. I do that, I need to let our listeners know and our viewers that uh, this program is here Sundays at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m., Monday mornings at 1 a.m., streaming live at those times at richarddugan.com. But don't forget about the special edition, the special broadcast, Wednesdays at 9 a.m. Pacific Time. Podcasts are on SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Stitcher, Player FM, Blueberry, and many other locations, too numerous to mention. And also wanting to uh, let you know that... Um, the video casts on YouTube. That's right. YouTube 
where you can watch them. I hope you'll subscribe. I hope that you'll also go to her website, uh, bravenowbook.com. And uh, also encourage you, if you can, support us financially. We have a PayPal account account for your security as well as ours. Just type in richard at richarddugan.com when you send us uh, whatever support you can send us. And also participate in the Decade of Perfect Vision, where you can basically sit in the quiet stillness of yourself and listen to that small voice giving you guidance and encouragement and inspiration. Uh, it's all there for you, all there for you. It's not for anybody else. I, I've told this story before where um, if I could find a place on the planet where I could just go and just be by myself where it's quiet and peaceful, and then it dawned on me that if I could find that place, so could everybody else. And then it dawned on me a second, uh, for a second time, <gasps> there is a place where nobody else can get to. And that's the still quiet, small place, if you will, within my inner life. So I encourage you folks to go there. With all of that being said, uh, let me ask you the first of the three questions. Who is, uh, who is uh, Radha Rudapel? <laughs> that's a great question. Who am I? Uh, wow. That's a deep question, Richard. Um, I would just say um, I'm someone who's committed to generosity and joy in life. And that's, that's who I am. And that's how I show up in the world. Well, I uh, also have a question for you. What, um, what is it that you hope to or want to achieve through the work that you're doing now? Yeah, that's clear to me. You know, I think in this world, we have so much unnecessary suffering. And what I want is that people can discover some inner strength so they don't have to suffer unnecessarily. And so they can live lives that are joyful, where they can follow their passions. Because I just, you know, what we talked about before, I just imagine that type of world and it gets me excited. So that's all I want in the world. Unlocking un getting rid of unnecessary suffering and having people live fully into their strengths. That's, that's a world I'd love to live in. And finally, what is your life's purpose? My, my life's purpose is helping others discover their inner strength that I already think exists within them and helping them ignite that light within themselves. Well, uh, Rada Rudapel, I thank you again for joining us here on the program. It's been a great pleasure, and I thank you again for sharing uh, what you have shared with us here on the program, and uh, I hope that you will uh, come back again and talk more about the work that you're doing. Thanks, Richard. It's so nice to be with you. Love the questions. BraveNewWorldBook.com is the website. Rada Rudapel is my guest. You have been listening to Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World, giving you choices and knowledge of those choices. Yeah. Pardon me, to help make your dreams come true. And until our next broadcast, podcast, videocast, love to lull.